0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo Del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Derek Olson in today's message. Psalm 145 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. So it's good to be together, to do that together, isn't it? To worship Jesus together. His greatness no one can fathom, the Bible says. All right. My name's Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And you've got me this morning because I'm thankful to report that uh, Pastor Gary and his wife April are getting a little getaway, some well-deserved rest and some fun together. The only problem with Pastor Gary not being here today is that then I can't tease him publicly about how badly my San Francisco Giants destroyed his padres this week. So... (laughs) And somehow I'm not sure I'll get away with that. Word will get back to him somehow, right? Uh, And I want to say happy birthday to my lovely wife today. So that's pretty fun. Um, And speaking of her, we wanted to let you know a little bit about what's going on with Team Olson. Many of you have tracked with us. Some of you may not know the story yet, so... In the last uh, 18, 19 months, a lot has been going on in our family. Team Olson grew from four to six people as um, we adopted our youngest two, and the adoption was just final about six weeks ago, and got to come and celebrate that and announce that and celebrate that with you a few weeks ago. And uh, I've said it before, but I just want to say it again, that Amy and I are, continue to be thankful for uh, having a church family like you. Uh, being surrounded um, with your love and support and generosity and encouragement and uh, especially your prayers, uh, we need it. Uh, it's, uh, it's not been an easy road, um, but it is uh, something we would not change uh, because we believe that um, the caring for the orphan is at the center of God's heart. And it's not just the Olson family that's doing that in our church family. It's many other families that are representing our church family who are caring for um, children in different ways. And so uh, this is something that we want to highlight, not highlight ourselves, but highlight the need for. And uh, the more I've uh, gotten into this topic in the last couple of years, the more I realize that the church, meaning not just Paseo del Rey, but the greater church, followers of Jesus throughout the world, the church has abdicated responsibility for orphan care. We have tried to hand over uh, the care of the least of these to the government, and the government's not very good at it. And uh, this is a call, a biblical call to God's people, to followers of Jesus everywhere to take care of the least of these, including uh, widows and orphans. And so we tell our story because we want to be part of what God is doing in finding families for these children who need them. Um, So that doesn't mean that each of you will need to be a foster parent or adoptive parent. Some of you will. Some of you will be surprised that God will call you to that. Uh, But there's a role for all of us as a church family collectively and individually. There are things that we can do. That's why Paseo del Rey has gotten involved in the last couple years with uh, foster care here in Chula Vista. So you'll see periodically opportunities of ways you can get involved in that and ways that we can, uh, like what uh, Fred said a few minutes ago, be rope holders for for foster families, adoptive families, things like that. Um, So if that uh, is something that God puts in your heart and mind, we would urge you to obey that call. It's a joy overall, and it's dear to God's heart, and uh, God is using that in our family in big ways. And I'm going to touch on some of that this morning. Um, So as much as we would want more kids to have great families with you and with other Christians, uh, I will also uh, stand up here and be honest and say that it has been a very difficult period of time for our family. Uh, Certainly first and foremost for the two youngest, the two that we adopted and for all that they've gone through, the challenges that come with what they've been through uh, are difficult things to work through. Uh, This has been a difficult period for our two older children, who are adjusting and transitioning to family dynamics, and certainly been a challenge for Amy and I um, along the way as well. But it's her birthday, so I'm going to speak for myself, I am a broken and hurting and sinful and flawed man, and if anything's made that, I I can't remember anything making that more clear than this challenge of parenting in the last couple of years and yet, Jesus is my rescuer, and God in his grace is transforming me from the inside out, making me new, and, uh, and helping me to be the man, the husband, the father he's called me to be. So I am the rescued broken. And we've been using this phrase for months now, the rescued broken, because today is the last in our series of messages we've uh, been studying th- since January, The Life of Abraham, so the series is called Abraham, the Rescued Broken, and uh, we're looking at the life of Abraham started back in Genesis chapter 11, back in January, and uh, today is the last Sunday in this series, and why did we call it that? We called it the Rescued Broken for things I really just alluded to, the fact that in the recent weeks and months, we've seen that Abraham is clearly a broken, flawed, sinful failure of a person at times. And yet in God's goodness and in God's amazing grace, uh, Abraham is the rescued broken. Someone saved by faith and someone being transformed and used by God. So we're going to kind of complete the story of his life in our study through the word this morning. Okay? So grab your Bibles if you would. Hopefully you got your own Bible there. Open Genesis chapter 25. If you want to use the Bible that's underneath the seat in front of you, you can turn to page 24. We're going to be in Genesis twenty-five, chapter 25 today. That's on page 24. And as you get there, I just want to pray for us. Father God, we need to hear from you today. We always need to hear from you. Uh, God, may we increasingly learn to turn to you, to turn to your word to hear from you. And so, God, as we open our Bibles this morning that you have written for us, Uh, God, would we open our hearts and minds, would you open our hearts and minds so that we might hear from you? Uh, By the power of your Spirit, help us to understand and help us to apply to ourselves and to our own lives what you want to show us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Genesis 25 here in just a minute. Let me just quickly mention what's been going on, because even if this is your first time, it's the last Sunday of the series, but it's okay if this is your first time. It's okay if you haven't been here for every sermon in the series, but here's what's been going on in Genesis. Uh, God promised Abraham and Sarah a son, a son of their own, and back in chapter 21, Isaac was born. That promised son, that long-awaited son was born, was born to a couple who had gone many, many years thinking it would never happen, who had gone many, many years thinking it was physically impossible, and uh, God had promised them a son, and Isaac was born In chapter 21. And and God has made it clear in our study here in Genesis that it's through Isaac is where God wants to work. God is going to create a people for himself and and a place for them to live through the line of Isaac. So Isaac is this uh, promised son that God has promised to work through. Uh, And then a couple chapters later in chapter 23, um, uh, Abraham's wife Sarah passed away. And so now, this last chapter, and today, we're looking at this part of Abraham's life after Sarah. So, open your Bible. Are you there, I think? Genesis 25, starting at verse 1. Abraham had taken another wife, whose name was Keturah. Now, we already know from our study that Abraham is very old already at this point, well over 100. And uh, he takes another wife. But we find out later in, this, in, in the passage today he, how long he lives. And so even with this uh, new wife, he may have been married to Keturah for 35 more years um, after being married to Sarah for a long time. So anyway, uh, verse 2. Keturah bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Medan, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites and the Letushites and the Lumites. You want to know the secret of pronouncing biblical names? Just pretend you know what you're doing. <laughs> just be confident. Where, would you rather be in a Bible study with someone reading through biblical names, go, just being confident, acting like they know what they're doing, or going, "Sure, Is that right? No, so I'm just teasing. but I'm, So I have no idea, but we're just going to keep going today, okay? All right. Verse 4. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All these were descendants of Keturah. So, here we start out our passage this morning, and the first thing we come to is geneal- genealogy. Lists that the Bible does in Genesis very often, lists of names, because the Genesis wants us to know who came from who, and who's after who, and who was born from who, right? And if you're anything like me, when you get to the genealogical information, your eyes start to roll back in your head a little bit. And if you're doing your Bible reading, you're spending time in the Bible each day, I hope, and you get to a genealogy, you might just skim a little faster. (laughs) That's what I tend to do. But, but, friends, you are holding God's inspired word. The genealogies are there for a reason. And a lot of times if we give it time, we can learn some really cool things by seeing what God has for us from the genealogical information. So... What I'm proposing this morning is that by reading genealogies at the beginning and at the end of our passage today and later in the chapter, we get a glimpse of God's faithfulness. And that's the first section of notes. If you're a note taker there following along, the first section is called God's faithfulness. And so what do I mean by that? Why does this genealogy, why do these list of descendants Remind us of God's faithfulness. Well, look with me at the screen, and we're going to really swiftly look at some verses from earlier in our study, these last few months, as we've studied through Genesis 12 to 25. Let's look at a few verses. Here's the one back in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, that's Abraham's name before God changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning the father of many. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Here's the part, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here's another key phrase we're going to look at later this morning. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. Next next verse on the screen, Genesis 13. God says to Abraham, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Two chapters later, God took Abraham outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And these promises of God are being delivered to a couple who has no children over and over these promises are being delivered to a couple who doesn't isn't sure if it's going to happen if it isn't sure if it's possible and then one more on the screen Genesis 17 God says again to Abraham I will make you very fruitful I will make nations of you so then guess what when we get to chapter 25 and we read genealogical information descendants of Abraham guess what we see that God keeps his promises By reading this genealogy, this list of descendants of Abraham, we see God's faithfulness. He is indeed the father to many. We just read through the first verses of the chapter are uh, Keturah's children. Later in the chapter, we're not even going to study this today, but later in the chapter, Isaac's family starts and you begin to see descendants of Isaac. And now if you'll skip with me to verse 12, we're going to see yet another genealogy section. So look down with me to verse 12. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave, Hagar the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the son of Ishmael, listed in the order of their birth. Neboeth, firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbil, MidSAM, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Napshish, and Kadema. Hey, you believed me? Sweet. God's faithfulness. Even, even to Ishmael, because if you know the story of Ishmael, Ishmael really, yeah, like, well, it's not, nothing's outside of God's plan because God's in control of all, but God promised a son to Abraham and who? Sarah. And yet, because they weren't sure if that was going to happen, Sarah sent Hagar, the slave woman, in to sleep with Abraham so they could create a son because they're trying to kind of take matters into their own hands and kind of circumvent what God had promised. And yet, God is faithful to his promise. Because even back in chapter 17, he even promised Hagar that Ishmael's line would be a nation. And so we see God's faithfulness. And that's what Abraham knew, was that, uh, was that, that, was that God is faithful. And that, and that he had promised him to become many nations. All right, so let's go back to the part of the passage we're in that we skipped over there for a second. Back to verse five, Genesis chapter 25, verse five. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. I think when we first read through this, it's a little weird. I don't think it has to be as weird and awkward as it sounds. Um, he, Abraham gives his other sons gifts. He takes care of them. He provides for them. But what's up with sending them away? Well, he sends these other sons off to other ge- geographical places to populate other areas. Why? Because Abraham knows that God's promise is through Isaac. That God had made a promise to create a people for himself and give them a place to live in this, in this land where they were now. So, Abraham knew that God had promised to create a people and a place for God's people. So, he took care of his other sons. He gave gifts and he sent them off to other areas. But clearly, we see here that Isaac is the son of promise. Verse 7 Abraham lived 175 years. Then, Abraham breathed his last and died. We're not too surprised though, right? I said this was the last Sunday of our series on Abraham. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So it's the end of Abraham. Okay. Then Abraham breathed his last and died. And this is great. At a good old age, an old man and full of years, he was gathered to his people. When, uh, when, Pastor, Gary, or, uh, yeah, when Pastor Gary preached uh, through um, Genesis 23, it was Mother's Day. He got up here and said, happy Mother's Day. And then he preached Sarah's death. Oops. He, he apologized. So I didn't know if when I got to this passage, maybe I should have saved it for Father's Day or what. And Abraham died. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Okay. So we, we come after many chapters and many weeks studying our Bibles because we believe in teaching through what God has, has given us in his word. And we come to the end of Abraham's life here. And a couple of simple things we, can, we should observe, but that are really important. Um, it mentions very clearly that he lived 175 years. It says it was a good age, and he was full of years, and I should remind us that every day of our lives is measured by the providence of God, that God knows the number of your days, and, 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 and by knowing this truth, by, by te- hearing what the Bible teaches on this, that he has measured our lives, um, that should tell us that no one dies too young, nine hours old, nine months old, 99 years old, 175 as Abraham. No one dies too young because God has measured our days before we were even born. He has his plans and his purposes and if, and if we know that that's true, there should, one of the ramifications of that then is to, for us to number our lives, to number our days. That we should know that our, the number of our days is limited and that, and that we should seek after God for his glory and his purposes to be accomplished in the days he's given us. And then look what else we saw there in, at the end of verse 8. I love, after his death, this expression, gathered, he was gathered to his people. It doesn't say, Abraham died and they buried him. It doesn't say, Abraham died and they put him in the tomb. It doesn't say, Abraham died and he was laid next to his wife, Sarah. Those things are all true. And instead, the writer of the Bible says, he was gathered to his people. And this should be an encouraging phrase to us because, friends, death is not the end. The end of our earthly journey is not the end. He was buried. He was put in a tomb. He was laid next to the bones of his wife, Sarah. But the Bible says he was gathered to his people because when our earthly journey is over, followers of Jesus will be with Jesus and with followers of Jesus. So Abraham was gathered to his people. All right, let's read, read a couple more verses. Back to the Bible, chapter 25, verse 9. Abraham's sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field that Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. And we've covered this before, but we want to just remember again here that, that Abraham's burial in this place is significant because being buried he and sarah being buried there and their subsequent family being buried there is a reminder is an indication that God's people will possess this land that this land promised by God will be theirs and so abraham and sarah are laid to rest there and then verse 11 says after abraham's death God blessed his son isaac who then lived near beer lehai roy so We come to the end of our weeks and months in the book of Genesis, studying the life of Abraham. And we've seen this morning about God's faithfulness because, first and foremost, as we study the the account of Genesis and as we study the lives of these people, we first and foremost want to see what it teaches us about our great God. And so we've already talked this morning about God's faithfulness, about the fact that He made promises that He then kept, that He said, Abraham would become many nations and we see the promise in the genealogies this morning of the many descendants. So we've seen God's faithfulness. But we do want to take just a few minutes this morning too to look back at Abraham's life and look at what his legacy was. And a little bit about his legacy. So Uh, There's a pastor and author named Kent Hughes who studied this deeply and preached on it and wrote a book on this uh, section of Scripture, and I was using that in my study, so I'm borrowing these four uh, fill-in-the-blanks of yours right from him. We're going to look in the next few minutes at four aspects of Abraham's legacy, and these come from the Bible. They come from our New Testament. So here we are in our Old Testament, the book of Genesis, reading the story of Abraham, his life, right? But then in the newer part of your Bible, the back part of your Bible, the New Testament looks back on Abraham over and over and recognizes some things in Abraham and points them out to us. And those are, these are the four, things, four of the things that we think are significant, and we're going to suggest them today as uh, parts of Abraham's legacy. So the first one is faith. When we read the account of Abraham, we read and learn and see faith. So look at the scripture on the screen. It's from Romans chapter 4. And Paul writes, what does scripture say? And then he quotes Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Over and over, when the New Testament looks at the life of Abraham, his faith is recognized. His faith is commended. Back there in Genesis 15, it said, Abraham believed God. What God said, Abraham believed. Abraham trusted in God. And so we see in Abraham's legacy, the legacy of faith, of putting our trust, our faith in God. The next one, next part of his legacy, faith in action. So we also see in Abraham's life, his faith in action things that he does because of his faith. But what we want to be really quick, clear about here, before I go too far with this example, I want to say that salvation, being made right with God, comes from God's grace through our faith alone, okay? Meaning it's not about what we do or what kind of person we are or if we go to church often enough or if we've tried hard enough. The Bible makes it very clear in Ephesians 2 that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, through trusting, through believing in Jesus. And it even says in Ephesians 2, this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Salvation, being rescued, being made right with God is a gift of grace that we receive by faith. And so Abraham's legacy is a model of faith, of believing God. And that's how we're saved is through faith in Jesus. But I want to look a little further now, though, and still see that Abraham's life has also has a legacy of faith in action. Look at the screen at this passage from James in the New Testament. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? His work, so to speak, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. A few weeks ago, Bart John taught us from God's Word about this uh, Fairly well-known story, you may know the story of Abraham being willing to offer up in sacrifice his own son, the one son, the promised son, the one that God was going to work with, work through. So it says there in James, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac? You see, his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Abraham was rescued by his faith. But faith, an essential proof of faith, an outworking of faith, is faith in action, deeds, works. Friends, you don't have to do stuff for God to like you. You don't have to jump through hoops and check off boxes for God to love you and rescue you. Our salvation is through faith alone. And yet, Abraham's also an example that when we have faith in God, and when he's working in us, and when he's changing us from the inside out, then part of the way faith works itself out is in actions. His actions prove his faith. His willingness to offer up Isaac prove his faith. So we see there Abraham's legacy of faith in action. And then we have Abraham's faithfulness. We have Abraham as an example of What it looks like to live a life faithful to God. Walking with God. We already talked about God's faithfulness to us, that he keeps his promises. And here part of Abraham's legacy is his his faithfulness to God. What it looks like to live a life for God's glory. And we get a glimpse of this here in Hebrews 11. This is just a little glimpse on the screen. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, what did he do? He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. A life of faithfulness to God includes obedience to God. Part of what we see in Abraham's legacy, part of what we could emulate in his life, is that by, when you put your trust in God, part of the outworking of faith is, is a life of faithfulness. And that means obeying what God calls you to do. And we can't keep going here in Hebrews 11, but I would encourage you, if you, if you got some time later, read the rest of this chunk in Hebrews 11, or tomorrow, tomorrow in your time in the Word. Read the rest of Hebrews 11, because you're going to see that as the passage continues, you'll see even more about how Abraham's faith worked itself out. It looked like obedience, but it also looked like um, going where he was called, and it also looked like being off on, on, on these challenging situations. So go ahead, and, and, and I'd encourage you to check that out. But here's where we want to stop for a minute and think about Abraham's legacy and his faithfulness and, and the fact that he is growing spiritually and the fact that God is using him for, for amazing, in amazing ways. Because we said at the beginning, right, we called this series Abraham the Rescued Broken, because if, if 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 nothing else, the last several weeks, couple months of this series has showed us that Abraham was broken. He loved God, but he failed. He loved God, but he rebelled. He loved God. He honored God. He did the right thing. He made a good choice. Then he messed up again. That Abraham was broken. But this example here, as we've studied God's word these, these months, Abraham's faithfulness to God, the fact that he is growing spiritually, the fact that God would still use him, the rescued broken, is a huge encouragement to me. You know why? Because I'm so broken too. Because I, like Abraham, am a broken, sinful, rebellious person in need of God's grace, in need of being rescued. And so when I see in our passages these last few months God's faithfulness to Abraham, the fact that he continues to work in Abraham's life should remind me and should remind you that God is present with you and working and helping and transforming for us as well. Uh, So when I first got up here this morning, when I got up here a few minutes ago and I was uh, giving you the reminder about what God's been doing in our family the last many months and and adding to our family, I mentioned that um, the last 19 months has included some challenges and I want to elaborate just a little bit, but I have to start somewhere else. I need to also make sure this gets out there, is um, God is at work in our family. There is some there's good things happening, and it's exciting to see growth and change and healing and, um, and, and bonding between siblings and um, parents growing, and uh, we wouldn't change it. We love our four and the way that God has made them and what he wants them to be. Um, but I also want to be honest and say that this has been the most difficult, challenging period of my life, period. I can't remember a time that was harder. Um, and as a in this season of parenting, uh, the the circumstances we find ourselves in and and the challenges we face as parents are squeezing me, and the mess that's coming out is not pretty. And 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 I and I can say that freely in front of you because I know that you relate. Not if not in this situation, if in some other situation. Um. This has been a very difficult period where the challenges of parenting have uh, done like nothing ever before in my life to reveal to me how messed up I am, and reveal my tendencies toward harshness and impatience and being too loud and stuff that I'd rather not even mention. And I can't remember a time in my life where I related to the words of Romans 7 more. Romans 7 is where Paul says things like, I keep doing what I don't want to do. I do what I don't want to do. I'm doing what I hate. And what I want to do, I don't do it. I can't tell you, I can tell you that I've never related to that passage more than in the last couple of years. So what do we do, church family, when we face trials, suffering, and challenges? What does that look like? For me, for you, when those things come into our lives, what's that all about? Because if you didn't already know it, I'll break the news to you that following Jesus doesn't end end up meaning perfect life. The challenges and the trials and the suffering comes. What does it look like for us, friends, when things don't go our way? How do I respond when things didn't go the way I would prefer? That would be easier for me. And, And the tempting thing is, it's tempting to be angry at God and to ask questions like I have and do. Why me? What's this all about? What good could possibly come of this? Those are the kind of things I think you and I do when we're squeezed by the circumstances of life. And I have seen my sin ooze out and fly out. And those are the things when I'm, when I'm out of my mind, those are the questions I ask. But when I'm sane. When I'm in my right mind, when I'm seeking after the Lord, which I will confess is all too infrequent, but when I'm sane, I know that God is working for my good and his glory. When I'm sane and I'm in my right mind and I'm seeking after the Lord, I know that the circumstances of my life are him molding and shaping me and making me into the person, the follower of Jesus that he wants me to be. And it occurs to me, it occurs to me that if Abraham never left home, never stepped out in faith, the growth wouldn't have happened. Some of that spiritual growth that we've seen in his life for chapter after chapter would not have happened, right? And it occurs to me that if Amy and I had not stepped out in obedience and a huge step of faith to take in children, to expand our family and all the trials that come with that, if we had not obeyed and stepped out in faith, I would not be benefiting from the spiritual growth that is happening in my life now. And I'm a mess. I got nothing to take credit for. But he's working. And if you don't step out in faith and follow, continue to follow Jesus to where he's calling you, I I, I worry that you'll miss out on the transformation that God wants to do in your life, the growth he wants to give you. Because Abraham followed God in faith. He faced difficulties. He failed. And yet God was transforming him and using him and working through him. And so Abraham can't take credit for his spiritual growth. I can't take credit for anything God is doing in my life. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. And the next fill-in-the-blank is Jesus. Because if you think about it, the ultimate legacy of Abraham is Jesus. The way that God is rescuing the world through Abraham's family is Jesus. Abraham's ultimate legacy is Jesus. Because down the genealogy line of Abraham, through Isaac... And on and on and on came Jesus. Fully human and fully God, I don't get it either. Jesus, the God-man, arrived to rescue and save and bring good news and be a blessing to all nations. And so Abraham's ultimate legacy is Jesus. And anything good in Abraham is because of Jesus. And anything good in me that God is doing is because of Jesus. And so we see this little bit of Abraham's legacy in Galatians 3. Look on the screen. Scripture foresaw that God would justify, make right, rescue, save, would save, would justify the Gentiles by their what? Faith. And so Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced, so he announced the gospel, he announced the good news of Jesus in advance to Abraham. Thousands of years before Jesus, back in Genesis, um, we see a promise of God that is the earliest, one of the earliest indicators of the gospel, and, and it was this, that all nations will be blessed through you. God's saying to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. Because God's plan to bless all nations through Abraham is Jesus. It's Jesus that's the good news. It's Jesus that's going to bring blessing to all nations. And how's that going to happen, by the way? Here's a little side note. Young man, I was up here on the stage earlier with Fred. I'm not going to say his name because my, I'm being recorded. His information is in your bulletin. God is calling this young man from our church family to distant places to be a blessing to all the nations. God said, I'm going to bless all the nations through your family, Abraham, through the line of Isaac, and that came through Jesus, and, and our friend is taking the good news of Jesus to the world. And that's exciting, and I hope you look in your bulletin and go to the gathering this afternoon and find out more about his ministry and what, how we can be a part of that. But then let's not just nod and smile and say, hey, great, he's going, because the way that we're going to be a blessing to all the nations through Abraham through Isaac because of Jesus is because you too are on mission for God to the people that are around you. You don't have to go far to be a conduit of God's blessing and a messenger of the good news of Jesus. God already has you in a place and a time and in relationships and at a school, at a workplace, at a home with a family where you are to be a conduit of that blessing. And God wants to use you that way. And I feel like almost every time I'm up here, I put this verse on the screen, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates how much he loves you in this. That while we were still, while you, while I were still stuck in our sin, Jesus died for you. The good news of blessing to all nations through Abraham's family, through Isaac, is because Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a death that we deserve that he didn't deserve, and he was raised again, so his new life means that we too can have new life in him. The good news is there in Romans 5.8 that God loves you, Paseo del Rey, so much that while you were still broken— both before you knew Jesus and even after you know Jesus and are still broken, that Jesus died for you so that you could be the rescued broken. Abraham, we've studied his life. He was broken. But because of his faith in God, he became the rescued broken. I can tell you that I am a mess, that I am broken, that I am um, sin but in Jesus I am the rescued broken and many of you are hurting this morning because of the circumstances of life that are squeezing you the circumstances of life that if God has orchestrated are squeezing causing you pain difficulty or challenges and you too can be rescued broken. If you already know Jesus, he wants you to continue to walk by faith in him so he can transform you and make you the rescued broken. If if you've never met Christ, if you've never begun a relationship with him, he's the good news. He can make you the rescued broken. So would you stand with me and I want to pray for us and we're going to worship in many ways now. We sang earlier that we want our praise to ever be on, his praise to ever be on our lips and so we're going to worship Jesus through our our voices here in a moment. We're going to worship Jesus through our giving as the ushers come to receive our financial gifts. This is something that if you're new to Paseo, we don't expect you to do. If you're a guest with us, We give financially because God has blessed us. This is an act of worship for those that call Paseo home and church family. And we want to worship him in our hearts and in our prayers as well right now. So let's pray. Father God, you are a great and awesome and mighty. Father God, we worship you because you are the creator God, the maker of the heavens and earth above all. And we worship you because while you are mighty and, 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 and transcendent and all-powerful and all-knowing, you are also our good, good Father. And so we worship you. God, would you make us more aware this morning of our brokenness? Would you um, show us where we desperately need you? Would you show us, if you haven't already, where we have rebelled against you, where there is sin in our lives? And God, as you make us aware of that, it'll make it even more glorious and even more overwhelming to be thankful that you have sent Jesus. So we worship you, God, for your greatness. We ask you to show us our need for you. And then, Lord, we are thankful for Jesus that you sent your son to live and die and be raised again for us. Because apart from you, God, we are lost and broken and in darkness and deserving of death. But Father God, you have taught us that in you, in your son Jesus, as we put our faith in Jesus, you've, we are found, you restore us, you transform us. We are taken from the darkness and brought into the light. We are taken from death and given new life. So we have so much to be thankful for, God. We want to worship you in every way now. As we lift our voices and with our, our whole lives this week, We worship you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.